This is the Create Yourself Podcast. What is going on, everybody? And welcome back to the Create Yourself Podcast. Today, my guest was Sam Miller of Oracle Training and Nutrition. You guys, Sam is super smart when it comes to uh, hormone health. Clearly, we, we jumped a lot into that. Um, but something that I'm also intrigued for people to hear is the difference between a diet versus nutrition. Um, his explanation of that is um, just really awesome. He's so good at articulating things that are highly technical and highly difficult to understand and making it to where um, people can understand it uh, more clearly. Now, if you don't already, go be sure to follow Sam on Instagram. He is at Sam Miller Science. Go ahead and hop on there. Give him a follow. Make sure that you uh, like and comment on some of his stuff. He's all, uh, always really great about engaging with people on there. Um, and before we jump into the show, if you could go ahead and take a screenshot with your phone of the show, post on your Instagram story, go ahead and tag both Sam and I in it. He is at Sam Miller Science and I am at the CF7C Coach. Um, and then do me one more favor before you go. I want you to go ahead and hop on iTunes before you listen to this show. I want you to give me a five-star rating and review. Guys, we live, eat, and breathe in the podcast world off of that. So to help a grow, help us to grow this show and to, to reach more people and to give more value to the world, go ahead and do that. Now, enough of me talking. Make sure you break out your notebook and your pen and be ready to roll. And let's go ahead and bring Sam on here. Talk to you next week. All right, Sam Miller on the Create Yourself podcast today. Um, man, I, I was super intrigued by any podcast episode that you've been on. Uh, the seminar that I got to attend that you did with Cody McBroom here in Seattle was amazing. My wife and uh, one of our friends that came along was um, just super intrigued by everything that, we, that you went over and that Cody went over. So uh, again, like I said in the intro before we hopped on here, I'm super privileged to feel or feel privileged to have you on today. Um, thanks, man. So how are you feeling today? Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. Um, I always enjoy podcasting. It's one of my favorite, you know, ways to kind of get in the flow and talk about some of my favorite things and things that seem to challenge clients uh, the most and have been a huge part of both, you know, my personal journey as well as, uh, you know, those around me and people that I've interacted with in, in fitness. So I definitely appreciate you taking the time out to have me on. And I really enjoyed that seminar with Cody. He's a great guy and great educator. So I think it was a nice uh, combination of topics that really gave everyone a complete perspective of some of the most important considerations with training and nutrition. Absolutely. You guys were super prepared for that. And there was so much information. I tried to uh, absorb as much of it as I could, but uh, obviously there's bits and pieces that I missed. So I'm going to hash some of that out here today. Now with that, I've heard your story a couple different times and, and different variations, but more specifically, I want to know like obviously who Sam Miller is, but how did you find your way into coaching? Could you lay that out for us? Sure. So I think, you know, my coaching pursuits honestly probably started out for just personal interests and, and reasons to like try to figure things out myself. Honestly, as a young kid, like you pick up books and fitness magazines and you try to figure stuff out. And I started to realize like there's a good bit of conflicting information out there. Um, I got my first personal training certification. I think when I was around 18, I did um, a sports nutrition certification shortly after that. Um, those kind of got me started in my career. And then I always worked part time as like a fitness professional trainer, coach, strength coach, or nutrition coach. Um, in college, even worked at like a nutrition store briefly. Uh, and then even after college, like through grad school, and even when I was briefly in the corporate world, I always was coaching. So I always had 
some type of certification, always had some online clients or in-person clients. It really was just something I always did. Um, but what's interesting enough is like for a while, I, I definitely had my eyes set on some things besides just fitness. And it's funny how like the world kind of brings you back to some of your passions and things that you're good at or naturally um, have a, a affinity towards. And so for me, that's definitely, you know, nutrition coaching and fitness and uh, a lot of what I do now is more in the physiology space and, and hormones and some of more of the complex topics. But, you know, for me, it really all started probably around, you know, just from a coaching perspective, I guess, like right around 18 or so. Um, and I'm 30 now. So that was, I guess, about 12 years ago. Wow. Well, it's always interesting when I hear coaches kind of give their backstory of like how they get into things. It always comes from a personal place. Like, Cody talks about how he was an overweight fat kid and how he wanted to get out of that whole uh, state of being. And for me, myself, like I was the overweight, unhealthy kid. I, I was athletic purely based off of like, I just worked hard when I did stuff, but it never really came natural to me. And, and getting into coaching, both nutrition and fitness coaching came from a place of me wanting to further myself. And um, it's, it's always interesting how that happens. Like I find the best coaches always come from that place. And I guess uh, and you could probably agree with this too. It definitely helps you to relate to your clients. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was definitely personal in the sense I was not, I, I guess you could say I was like a fairly athletic kid, but from like an aesthetics standpoint, I wasn't just like naturally super ripped or anything like that. Um, so I, Cody's story is like not super, super different than mine. I think he had like a few knee injuries and stuff that would make it a little different. Um, and I had, um, you know, some other elements of my story. I had uh, a pretty bad concussion that I think, you know, as I was working with doctors, like they think it definitely influenced like my pituitary function for a little bit along with I, as I was learning about exercise, you know, I started just like training more and more and more and more. And just like the more is better mentality, more volume. And like, I didn't know anything about nutrition at the time. So you pick up like men's health or whatever magazine, little do you know that it's like not individualized for your metabolism or your resting metabolic rate or your needs like growing or your total daily energy expenditure. And, you know, I'm doing, you know, the amount of activity that a 16 year old, 18 year old can handle with the diet for a 42 year old that has a beer belly that needs to be in a calorie deficit, you know, just, yeah, just like misalignment completely of what you think is healthy and just shows how important individualization is with nutrition. So I definitely started because I've been on both sides of the spectrum. Um, I, I actually think this is in a few of my bios, both on Cody's site, on my, you know, on a few of the other articles I've written and podcasts is like, you know, definitely was like decently athletic, but wasn't necessarily, you know, super jacked or anything. Uh, probably started a little on the chubbier side of things, I think. <laughs> Uh, and then kind of made my way down. I was actually underweight when I got to college. So I basically went from one side of the spectrum to the other was like chasing leanness. I think I got calipered at like 4% body fat after my oh, first wow. presentation it was like, yeah, I mean, I used to like take pride in, in that for some odd reason, like just pushing, uh, I think. And then even, even shortly after college, there's a facility here in North Carolina that, that does a lot of the body fat testing for hockey players. And it was like, I at some point got like the second lowest reading second only to some like freak athlete hockey player. I was at like 3.98%, which is not, this is not healthy for those of you listening to the podcast. Um, so my journey, you know, I basically went from like 
130 something pounds at 510 to basically regaining, you know, dozens of pounds of muscle and some fat along the way to basically like reachieve health in my own journey. So definitely seen both sides nutritionally, um, definitely dabbled in a lot with, uh, hormones with clients and, and, uh, here on, on podcasts and different venues and articles and things like that. And, uh, certainly had my fair share of fitness failures for sure. So, um, I think we've all, all kind of been there and I'm happy to, you know, speak to those experiences and everything. Yeah. I, th- I think a lot of my troubleshooting has led me to learn different things and grow as a coach and, and as a person too. So I can agree with a lot of that. Now you, so you started, it, it seems like you started in the, the fitness space first and then obviously nutrition goes hand in hand with that. And I know you as the, the hormone guy, the first time I heard you was on a podcast talking about hormones and I was really intrigued by how little I knew about that. So I'm curious to know, like, how did you go from the fitness space <clears throat> into the nutrition space? And now it seems like obviously you're still in the nutrition space clearly, but definitely dove deep into the weeds with the, the hormone side of the house. How did you end up there? Uh, I think a combination of like mentors helping me realize how much I knew in that area. Like I remember one of the first times I met, um, you know, Jason Phillips at Nutritional Coaching Institute, mm-hmm. like started randomly talking to him about, you know, uh, all sorts of hormone stuff for men and even HRT a little bit and all these different things. And I, I think it's like, you don't realize how much you know until there's someone around you that can like be a reflection or like a mirror for you to basically see what you actually know. Like I had probably 10 years worth of that information in my brain that never saw the light of day until maybe like 2017, 2018. Um, so what's crazy is if you think back, okay, 12 years ago or in 2019, like I got my first certification a long time ago. I've been reading about this stuff for a very long time. And that's why when people are surprised about uh, the information I'm sharing, it's kind of like this aggregate, you know, I'm, I'm just, I've been accumulating information in my head for, for a very long period. Uh, I had my own, I guess, fitness and nutrition really served as the only way for me to optimize my own hormonal health uh, from like a a standpoint of, I definitely had some fluctuations in terms of my own labs and blood work. I was seeing an endocrinologist like probably quarterly, if not more at some points getting labs like several, several times a year. Um, just because, uh, you know, my, we're not really fully sure whether what it was, whether it was like combo of nutrition or that, um, head injury I told you about, but there's more and more research now that traumatic brain injuries or severe concussions, uh, can actually influence pituitary function. And so at the time I had just a a few years or a couple years earlier, um, you know, I I was snowboarding and basically just hit my head really hard, ended up going to EMS and EMT, got put on a spine board, all that good stuff. Um, and then down the road an endocrinologist was like, we should really do an MRI of your pituitary. And, uh, so ultimately I uh, got that done. I had some swelling or like heterogeneous enlargement of the pituitary is what they call it for like the medicinal uh, ter- medical terminology, I guess you could say. Um, and, you know, nothing bad like it had come down, but there were a few cysts there as well as like my uh, pineal gland, which is the gland in your body that produces melatonin. So if you think about it, like between that um, and, and having some benign cysts and stuff, uh, there were a couple doctors that thought I might have like some small tumors up there. Cause I have a half brother who had a pretty large tumor, um, in his skull. So 
they were thinking of like hereditary factors or whether this a head injury, like what was going on. Uh, but really for me, habits, lifestyle, training and nutrition were the best ways to manage that ultimately. And it's what allows me to teach people today. Um, because if I, I didn't understand calories or macronutrients or effective training, um, I always really had to be very stringent and do things kind of perfectly to get to see results. So like, I definitely understand the clients out there who um, feel like they have to be really stubborn to get momentum in their favor. And so for me, that involved like having a lot of coaches and having a set training regimen, having things really well thought out, dialed in, being really consistent for like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years um, with, you know, nutrition, with coaches, um, even competing briefly and things like that. So, you know, I, uh, I think for me, it's like I definitely empathize with people who uh, who are having that struggle because it does make it a little bit harder when your body just doesn't have this like um, physiology that's sort of primed for the responses that you want. But over time, you can change your physiology through things like your habits, your practices, your daily routines and all of that. So I think it's when I started to put all of that together combined with having some great peers like, you know, Cody or some of my other friends and uh, some great mentors to serve as a reflection and a mirror for me so that I could actually express and articulate what I actually know, because otherwise I would have probably just stayed, you know, I was having, our business was doing well um, locally as far as, you know, well, I had, I had clients both locally and, you know, in several geographies, but you know, I wasn't really out there like on podcasts, writing articles, things like that. So um, having that, that mirror, that reflection is really what started me down the path of like, okay, being on Instagram and like people know they come to me to ask about hormones, right. Or having like the applied science mentorship that I do for coaches. Like that's something that's, you know, recently developed, I guess last year in 2018 is when that first came out. So we've done a few, few rounds of that, but really it's, uh, it's ultimately been a combination of experiences and environment like the people around me that have sort of placed me in that niche that I guess a lot of people view me as the, uh, you know, as the guy in, which is still weird to me, to be honest. But um, yeah, I guess that's how uh, that all sort of came together and, and brought me to, to where I currently am, am in the industry. That's awesome. So I, like I, I first came into touch with Jason Phillips as far as like listening to him and consuming his content myself when he was on a, he was on a podcast and he was talking about uh, HPA access dysfunction. And I was intrigued because a lot, like you said, just falling into things a lot yourself. I was doing a lot of reading on it myself because I competed in CrossFit for years and years and years. And I felt there was a, a one period of time where I was having sleep issues and, you know, um, my sex drive just tired and wired. Everything was going wrong. My performance was going down the drain. And I, I just, I started reading a lot about hormones and the adrenal issues that people experience. And he was really the first, one of the first ones to really talk about that kind of stuff. So I, naturally I was drawn to him, but just like you said, it came from a place of, I had my own personal issues that uh, really drove me into that. And then it, it, you had for years and years, you had the, I've heard you talk about this a lot too, the side of the house talking a lot about like calories are all that matter in recovery and, and how you feel. And then the other house is like, oh, hormones are everything. But it seems like both you and Jason talk a lot about how they both kind of matter and they should work together. And obviously that draws me to both of your information. Um, so I appreciate you guys putting that kind of stuff out. Now, something else that really intrigues me that you talk a lot about 
is the the whole diet versus nutrition convert that that whole conversation of diet versus nutrition. I love that conversation. I would love if you would explain the difference of that and how you even came up with that concept. Sure, man. Uh, it's I I can remember. I guess I was going back to you know I had done several nutrition seminars and I was like, what is the theme here? Like, what problems am I seeing? What are people coming to me looking for? What question do I need to answer? And usually it was like someone was asking about a diet, right? Like a specific new diet. Maybe it was, inter well, intermittent fasting is more of a chrono like chronological window of like when you can eat, but maybe it was a keto diet, maybe it's paleo, uh, maybe it was Weight Watchers, which is also still kind of more of like that points method or tracking method in terms of amounts. But there's all these different diets out there. And I started to think about, you know, the difference between diet and nutrition. And so most nutrition seminars that I give, I typically start with or at least touch on the difference between nutrition and a diet. So I am a firm believer that you can manipulate, periodize, and strategize nutrition to reach a specific goal. That could be an athletic goal. That could be a body composition goal. That could be just a well-being and health goal. Um, but you can do that with nutrition by understanding how to manipulate nutrition and steer nutrition in the direction of your goals. A diet is basically a restrictive single method of eating with sets of guidelines or rules um, that bound you to a particular strategy. And so while that can be effective for folks for weight loss, you know, in, in the United States, we don't simply have like a weight loss issue. There's also an issue with people regaining weight that they've lost. Um, and rarely is that because of a lack of prevalence in terms of the amount of diets available. It's largely due to, there are tons of diets available and people jump from diet to diet to diet to diet to diet. They don't have recovery periods. They don't understand maintenance. They don't understand what health and, and truly eating and nourishing your body looks like. Uh, nutrition, kind of the word itself, obviously is very close to the word like nourishment and providing your body with the fuel that it needs. And uh, so adequate nutrition can, can be achieved while also pursuing a goal. Uh, I think sometimes with a diet, we begin to have this mindset of, okay, what do I need to cut out? Um, granted, I'm, you, know, you mentioned uh, both myself and, and Jason mentioning hormones and calories. I mean, calories and macronutrients are one of the biggest ways you can influence your hormones. If you severely undereat, um, whether that's just calorie restriction or, or actually like a, in the form of an eating disorder, you can definitely impact your hormones and HPA axis function. Um, on the flip side, you know, eating too much, having too many calories and, and macronutrients is basically type two diabetes. If we were to oversimplify it, uh, you're building up insulin resistance and, and you're over consuming food. Uh, and that's why calorie deficits work for people who are over, overweight and who have over consumed. And that's why, you know, reverse diets work for people who are under consuming food. And so that idea really just stuck with me that, um, nutrition gives us a certain level of flexibility. Nutrition gives us a certain level of understanding of what we need to, uh, be compliant, be mindful, be healthy, and still, uh, move towards our goals as opposed to being short-sighted with something like looking for just a single dietary solution or a single diet. So uh, most people come to a seminar and they're usually wondering about a fad diet. So I started to address that just by saying, hey, here's the difference between 
changing nutrition, like you'll never need a fad diet again, um, unless it's just that style of eating, whether it's intermittent fasting or um, some people prefer carbs versus fats, et cetera, et cetera. Like you can still have your preferences, but just giving people options and providing people with education, I think is super important. Uh, the whole nutrition diet conversation is, is something that I use all the time now, ever since I first heard you guys say that. And it's, it's much easier for me to have that conversation. Like, especially, you know, when I get inquiries, both in my gym or through Instagram, they're like, Hey, you know, what type of diet do you use for your coaching? Are you like paleo? Are you like keto? And I'm like, no, like, uh, I want something that's going to be sustainable to you. And, and obviously we'll gear that whatever way we need to go that works well for your life or your, or your body. But for the most part, I, I, I feel like I coach nutrition instead of a diet protocol. So I want to give you, I want to steer your nutrition to whatever means is going to help you the best versus having to stick to a, a certain, obviously there's principles in nutrition and concepts that you should stick to in general. But when I think of like principles in a diet, like a certain diet adheres to a certain setting and I don't want to be tied to any one of those things. I want to be tied to the best thing that's going to help the person. For sure. Yeah. So, and especially, um, that like every client that comes to me has, has done every single different diet and it's up to me to find what's going to work best for them. Um, so I find across the board that 99% of the clients that come to me are, we'll call them an avid under eater. Like they're, they've been told their entire life that, um, eating a lot is, is not good. You should eat less to lose weight. And then eventually they get to where they're eating about a thousand calories per day. And you know, they're 180 pound man and they definitely need more than that. When a client comes to you with that sort of issue, it, obviously there's a whole myriad of things that go along with that and it's going to be highly individualized, but what are some, what are some ways that you approach that conversation and some practices that you uh, start throwing in there to get this person out of that mindset, less is better and to start helping them to heal their metabolism and get their hormone profile back in check. So I, I start everyone the same way, which I, I think is counterintuitive. Sometimes with the most complex topics, people forget that um, if you don't have stability in your most basic concepts and variables, you're going to be really, really confused when you get to the advanced stuff. So everyone starts with a food log. Um, everyone starts with, okay, how are you sleeping? Basic biofeedback, hunger, hunger energy cravings. Uh, mood, sleep, PRs, energy, uh, all that good stuff. And once we have a pulse on that and we're really clear on what normal looks like, even if normal is a little unhealthy, then we can begin to change. Um, and that's where sometimes, you know, whether it's gut health, hormones uh, in men or women, we really need time to like be on that journey together and figure that out over time. Um, I think one common thing we see is uh, as a society, we've sort of decoupled stress with movement. So there's a lot of stress from like stressful emails or text messages or, you know, computer screens, or we don't get a lot of light exposure. We are sedentary a lot of the time. And, you know, we might have an adrenaline and, and, and catecholamine response, cortisol response from something that doesn't even require us to move, uh, which is really unfortunate because what our body's uh, stress response was designed to do is like mobilize energy um, and basically signal our body that there's like an acute stressor. But what happens is when you have that over and over and over and over and over again, uh, your body begins to be under chronic stress. So one of the first things I do is kind of that stress inventory, hunger, energy cravings, biofeedback, um, food log. I make sure we're like really nailing the basics. And when we have consistency and a strong foundation there, 
uh, then we'll look at, okay, well, maybe we need to reverse diet or maybe we need to add some strategic supplements or adaptogens or um, support in some area. Maybe your sleep is off. Maybe we need to change your training program. But, you know, you got to start with the big rocks first. Uh, you know, if you were filling a, a bucket, it's easiest to get there kind of like with the, the biggest, largest percentage chunks first and then uh, kind of fill in those smaller details, you know, once you have a better idea how things are shaping up. So that's, uh, that's generally my approach, which I, now, I know sounds like super boring, but I think a lot of people try to jump right into, well, I'm going to like biohack Cody's testosterone. And it's like, <laughs> okay, cool. Well, like, do you know his macros or like, do you know his calories? Is he eating enough? Um, how much is he training? Because I've had people come to me for hormonal optimization and repairing periods that like aren't happening in terms of menstrual cycle health, but they're doing CrossFit like 14 to 21 times a week. They're under eating. They're trying to be shredded out of their mind, super lean, not eating enough and, and doing a lot of intense training. You know, you're not, there are some very easy habits and low hanging fruit that are going to like improve your hormonal health um, that simply come from training and nutrition adjustments. So sometimes being the hormone guy also requires being very grounded in like what works from, um, you know, well, one being patient, but two, like understanding how important certain concepts are and knowing like how to layer those bricks as you're kind of like building along the way. So, um, I'd say it depends on the issue, but if you have some specific cases in mind, like more than happy to, cause you know, whether you cite like women's hormones or men's hormones or just hormones in general, uh, I think there's so many different types of like dysfunction or adaptation that uh, it really requires like a closer look at specific stuff. So I'm happy to talk about that. But from like a general standpoint, that's typically how things start. Yeah, that's something I definitely wanted to jump into. Just I mean, I got a couple clients in my mind right now um, that are at my gym. <clears throat> they don't actually that that aren't interested in nutrition coaching because they're, they're going down more the naturopath route. And uh, that's probably a whole nother conversation, but um, in particular, like talking about a specific thing, like uh, Hashimoto's is something that, um, that shoot that sticks out in my head that I really wanted to touch on and ask you about, like, what are some good practices for a person that has been diagnosed with that? And, and the reason why I'm really curious about that or what your take on that is, is because I have, you know, clients, like I said, that'll, go to a naturopath and they're on every herb under the sun or, or just all kinds of different prescription type things. Whereas like what I gather is that there's some nutrition principles that you can, you can work on that can definitely help with that or uh, I guess ease some of the, the issues that come along with it. So what, what is your approach to, you know, client comes to you has been diagnosed with Hashimoto's. Like how do you approach that? What is the, what are some best practices or principles that go along with that sort of set? So with Hashimoto's, typically we're seeing an elevation in thyroid antibodies, which means the body is sort of uh, having an immune reaction or like think of how our immune system fights like a foreign invader. Mm -hmm. That's essentially happening um, in that very moment in that person's body. So you'll see elevated antibodies. Our goal with a Hashimoto's client, or if you're a doctor, your patient would be to bring those antibodies down. And the way that we can do that through nutrition is eliminating um, you know, you could take, you could go a few ways, right? So you, sometimes you'll see Hashimoto's that also goes along with like some gut health issues and you really want to address the gut and, and inflammation and, um, heal that. Uh, but for the most part, we tend to see that folks respond well, like you still want to keep a food log, figure out calories, total daily energy expenditure, 
but making like more paleo-esque food choices in terms of maybe eliminating some gluten or all gluten or dairy um, and reducing some of the uh, body's natural responses that may be, because basically the more we're having um, an immune response or an inflammatory response, it sort of creates this cascade or like perpetuates um, a, a lot of different hormonal reactions. So by controlling that, that's going to be super important. Also, there's some research out there right now on Hashimoto's and, and the role of stress and trauma. Um, we also know that Hashimoto's, is, it's not uncommon to occur after pregnancy or closer to um, changes in, in, in females like menopause or later in life. Uh, we do know that Hashimoto's is more common in women. And so our, our goal really is depending on the situation, right, is like create balance and, and a solid strategy and consistency with food, um, monitor things like digestion, overall health, energy levels, but also ideally you're going to have some labs that have, or they're going to an endocrine, the, the client would be going to an endocrinologist or a thyroid specialist and understanding where their antibodies are, understanding where their reverse T3, uh, T3 and T4 are, because we basically have our, and, and I'll explain how this all kind of relates to, so everyone understands is that the thyroid is very closely related um, two other elements of our body in the sense that we have thyroid receptors in nearly almost, I, th I think, every cell. Um, and then also so much of our T4 to T3 conversion, which is basically taking the, the product that's produced by the thyroid, converting it into a metabolically active um, hormone or messenger that sort of signals our metabolism. A lot of that conversion happens in the liver and the gut. So it, it, you will see sometimes folks with Hashimoto's that also have a gut health issue or um, digestive complaints and, and brain fog, and they're, they're also hypothyroid, and their doctor wants to put them on thyroid medication. Well, you know, if we can get the antibodies down and improve gut health, chances are you may improve um, levels of, of things like your reverse T3, which sort of competes with uh, T3 at like the thyroid receptor site which for those of you who are a little less uh, savvy on the hormone side, don't, don't worry about the, all the acronyms and, and receptors and things like that. Just think of it as like hormones are messengers that kind of need a place to dock. It's like if they're going to come up to a cell and, and leave a message, you know, they kind of need a way to connect. And uh, our body has different ways of regulating hormones and preventing that connection or preventing that message for whatever reason. So when our body's under stress, it might downregulate a certain message. When it's not under stress, it might upregulate a certain message. It really all depends on what your body's going through. So uh, I think with Hashimoto's, it's important to remember that uh, stress is closely related. Sometimes gut health is, is closely involved and food quality is very important in addition to um, your, your overall macronutrient totals. And that could be food quality in the sense of finding out what's best for you and your body, uh, in the form of an elimination diet, or it could be doing like a modified paleo approach, uh, but still being mindful of your energy needs and, uh, you know, calorie balance and, and all your other biofeedback that plays into that decision-making. It's so interesting. You, you, what I hear is that, I mean, Obviously, calories and macros matter with those people, food quality, de-stress, things like that. But I, I personally had a conversation with uh, two different clients that stick out in my head right now that um, have told me that they have Hashimoto's and they almost took it as like it's a 
<laughs> their only way out is to get medication to, for that to regulate it because there's no other way to help. And then they have to go on these extreme, you know, again, nutrition versus diet, this extreme diet to where they're in a, in a very severe deficit. And uh, I, that's always been a diff difficult conversation for me. Obviously, I'm not a hormone specialist. I'm not, I'm not even going to begin to pretend that I am. So that's, uh, it just was a conversation that I wasn't prepared to have. Uh, but it's so interesting to hear that the paleo type diet can help to help a person like that. And uh, they actually do have something that they can uh, arm themselves with to help get out of that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, people do look at it as like a sentence, um, which is unfortunate because I would rather have someone try to like a lot of what we're developing through our physiology is like modifications or adaptations to our lifestyle choices. And then we're treating that with like reactive Western medicine, which is fine. I mean, sometimes like if you need to go to the emergency room, that's awesome. Like it's so amazing that we have hospitals and, and like medicine can be an amazing, beautiful, wonderful thing. But also there are a lot of people in this country that like through managing their stress, through managing their food and their training um, and, and our mindset and things like that, we could be a lot healthier uh, and ultimately prevent some of the need for some of the reactive stuff. So there are certainly people who maybe you have to have your thyroid removed, uh, like a thyroidectomy and you need, um, you need synthetic thyroid hormone or exogenous thyroid hormone, uh, or, uh, like synthroid is like T4 that your body would then have to convert to T3. But let's say you have Hashimoto's and you get on synthroid, you take T4. If you're still super stressed out and your gut health sucks, remember what I said about like the body has to convert T4 to T3 in the liver and the gut. Um, there, there's a whole number of pathways and also stress sort of limits that conversion of T4 to T3. If you're still under a ton of stress and not making great food choices, you know, thyroid, a, a pill like thyroid hormone is not necessarily going to be this magical solution for you. Um, you're just kind of on it because we've kind of limited, um, what your body is doing naturally. So same thing with, it's not that different than, uh, for people less familiar with thyroid hormones. Just understand that like when you give your body an exogenous substance, we downregulate our own production. So um, like if you take birth control as a woman, you are kind of mitigating your natural healthy cycle. If you take testosterone replacement as a man, you are downregulating your natural production because you're getting a source of testosterone from outside the body. The body says, I need to produce less. So with the thyroid, ideally, or a Hashimoto's person, we just want to... Um, try to get some healing going on through food and lifestyle and choices initially, and uh, then kind of go from there. Awesome. Awesome. Man, thank you so much for breaking that down. Uh, I'm sure people that, uh, guys, if you don't have a notepad out and you're not writing all this stuff down and then going to Google search, what half of these things mean, uh, you're really cutting yourself short. I did a little bit of it at the seminar with Sam myself. Now, Hashimoto's is an interesting conversation. Another one that really intrigues me is that people that have been or, or females that have been diagnosed with a PCOS. Could you go into that a little bit as far as practices and, and concepts to grasp as far as like what a person can do to help with that or as a coach, what should be done? Sure. Uh, I think one of the most important things to understand is that PCOS is a categorization of, it, it's um, kind of an enigma. Uh, and there's physicians right now are like working obviously to discover exactly what all of that means. But 
uh, PCOS is an acronym that stands for poly, meaning multiple, uh, cysts, um, and ovarian syndrome. So it's polycystic ovarian syndrome. It means multiple cysts on, on the ovaries, but there's a lot of other things going on besides multiple cysts. Um, some women have a altered gene expression as far as like the insulin receptor gene, which impacts insulin sensitivity. Um, it can impact fertility and be involved in um, a loss of a healthy cycle. And we also see weird ratios of hormonal precursors like LH and FSH. And don't worry, guys, I'll like totally simplify all of this in 30 <laughs> seconds. But um, LH and FSH are kind of a precursor to reproductive hormones. So your brain um, has two different elements to it that basically signal your reproductive organs. So in women, that would be your ovaries. Um, we're signaling the body to produce reproductive hormones. So we have one signal that's kind of overpowering the other in a like three to one ratio. And, uh, you know, we also have some other things going on as well. But what's interesting about PCOS is a lot of people who are getting diagnosed with it, maybe they have post birth control syndrome, maybe they have um, loss of period, amenorrhea. I'm seeing a lot of female clients or just women that reach out for help that are maybe more of a case of like hypothalamic uh, amenorrhea, which just means you're losing your cycle. You've lost your healthy cycle. It could be from undereating, overtraining, uh, competitions, high stress. There are a lot of reasons why the female body might lose a period, but PCOS basically has four to five categories. And if you fall into several buckets of the categories, you may receive a PCOS diagnosis. Now, if you're listening, I'm, you, you can jump to the conclusion of, okay, well, I see how that could be a problem because what if I'm in two buckets, but not the other three? Or what if I'm in three buckets, but not the other two? Or I'm in one of the buckets, I don't have a period, but do I have PCOS? Um, so the doc, doctors are basically looking at, do you have multiple cysts on your ovaries? What do your androgen levels look like? Your hormonal precursors like LH and FSH, um, cycle health, all that good stuff, maybe insulin sensitivity. So your blood glucose readings and uh, your A1C levels, things like that. But there's more and more studies and, and research coming out. Um, there's a study in October of 2018 that came out basically saying that um, the ratio of um, CRP to albumin, don't worry about the acronyms again. Basically, uh, CRP initially by itself was a measure of cardiac inflammation. It stands for C-reactive protein. We're using it more and more and more um, as far as cardiovascular health and understanding elements of heart disease. And so PCOS does relate to inflammation and also, no coincidence, also ties in a little bit to gut dysbiosis. So for those of you listening at home that maybe either have PCOS, know someone who does, or have heard of it but don't fully understand it, just understand that doctors are still researching it, still studying it. It's still kind of an enigma. I encourage many women to get a second opinion. If you've been to one OB, go to another OB or an endocrinologist or a specialist for PCOS or women's health doctor, or naturopath, um, get your labs done, have blood work. Just because you have one or two symptoms doesn't mean it's you know permanent. A lot of women can um, you know mo basically monitor, manage, or mitigate PCOS through. Um, their, their health and lifestyle choices as far as things with nutrition and training and uh, just understanding the impact of stress and different types of activity. So if you have a lot of inflammation in your body and gut dysbiosis, we want to heal the gut. Uh, maybe we can improve insulin sensitivity. We can bring down overall stress. Uh, there was a, a 
there have been Eastern medicine studies that I think acupuncture helped uh, balance out some of the symptoms of PCOS like 38% of the time, which is pretty crazy for like a non-prescription drug. And there were a small number of women in the um, study. So we don't know that these things are golden nuggets of information that are perfect, but it just shows us that sometimes there are other ways that are helping to make this be less of a problem. And it doesn't always involve um, medication. The most common prescription for PCOS, oftentimes women are put on metformin, which is a type two diabetes drug, um, and alters the gut microbiome, which then you can tie back to obviously what's going on with gut dysbiosis and stuff, but it also can improve insulin sensitivity and how we manage blood glucose. Uh, metformin uh, has been largely studied. It's one of the safest drugs in the world from that sense, as far as like the number of clinical trials and things, and it's relatively affordable. Uh, it also seems to impact uh, fertility in some capacity that I don't, I don't know that I or many doctors even fully understand. I think there's probably like four doctors in the world that are really working on why that is right now. Um, so I try to stay in the loop and I, you know, obviously I'll keep you guys posted, but uh, the, that's what's really interesting about PCOS. And then oftentimes as a solution or Band-Aid, uh, women with PCOS are put back on birth control. And basically you're creating this like artificial bleed. Um, you are managing symptoms, but you haven't necessarily fixed the root of the problem. And if you have a limited number of eggs or something like that, or, or you've worked with your OB or a fertility specialist, and that's what they advise, obviously I am not a doctor or a pharmacist, telling you about these drugs, but um, I do know that there's so much that can be done with nutrition and training, especially in younger women who maybe aren't at the stage of like being concerned with that fertility element yet. Uh, and even with birth control, sometimes we are seeing some adverse effects in terms of post-birth control syndrome and gut health um, symptoms and situations that, that tend to arise afterwards. So uh, I, I try to attack inflammation, I try to improve insulin sensitivity, uh, if they do have issues with blood glucose, we know that a calorie deficit can improve that in many cases, uh, or manipulating things uh, like fats and, and carbohydrates. I think people underestimate um, just what a solid macronutrient profile can do in consistency and adherence to that diet over time. I've seen a lot of women with PCOS try keto or um, that low carbs, the only thing that's worked. And they've I've seen women lose 100 pounds and gain a lot of it back or lose 50 pounds and gain it back or lose small amounts of weight, you know, it's really runs the gamut. Um, but the most important thing is like, you know, ultimately finding out what's going on individually with you, monitoring your blood work, having some trusted medical professionals, and then also having someone who's an advocate for your health and fitness. That's kind of guiding you along the way. Uh, it's definitely, I, I can understand how if you're a female who's received that diagnosis, definitely a challenge. It's definitely a frustration as you can probably hear from what I've explained, it, it can be fairly complicated, but um, there's there's more and more information emerging, more and more approaches. Um, we know that diet and exercise counseling help with PCOS. We know that yoga, low impact exercise can be very helpful. Um, I still like to include some weight training or resistance training, but also monitoring like systemic inflammation in the body and things like that. So um, that's kind of my take on PCOS. Try to give you both like kind of a deep dive and some simple explanation. And hopefully that makes sense for, uh, for the folks listening and always happy to answer any other questions about it. Yeah. I think the big thing you displayed was how important it is for people to take some of their health into their own, their own hands, I guess you could say, because there, there there's always so much 
moving and changing in studies and how to treat certain things. And I find that, that both the best coaches and both uh, and medical practitioners are always open, open, open in learning and furthering their knowledge in, in different subjects because sometimes people just get it in their head that this is a certain way that you should treat or handle a certain situation. And, and everything that you laid out there just makes it even more apparent that taking some of it into your own hands, doing your own research, there's tons of free information out there to, to learn from. Finding a coach who is interested in being, or not, we'll just say being open-minded to all the different ways to work with it. Paying attention to your stress always seems to be a, a good thing. And then uh, just food quality in general is, is basically what I got out of that entire description that you laid out. And I just think it's important for people to take that away. Like we can't just rely on one diagnosis and just think that's the end of it, especially when those two subjects in particular have so much new research and information coming out on them. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, we talked a lot about those particular things. So, and this could be if somebody held a gun to your head and they're like, Hey, how can I make sure that my hormones are as healthy as they can possibly be? You know, they don't have any particular things that have been diagnosed within them. What are some best practices just to keep your hormone profile in check and to, to make sure that overall your body runs the way it needs to? Uh, number one, probably sleep. And two would be like periodize your nutrition. Uh, and then I'm a, really big believer in having some type of resistance training or uh, weight training and then walking, I think are great. Uh, if I had to pick like a last one, it'd probably be related to like circadian rhythm and sunlight. So um, just, you know, I think getting outside can be a little underrated at times. I think, you know, having some type of routine, mainly in the sense that it does impact your sleep schedule. So if you can fluctuate your routine and you're still sleeping, um, you know, kudos to you. A lot of people can't do that, but um, sleep is where our body really, uh, can relieve some of the, the stressors that are placed on a day to day. So not only physical recovery, but we have a lot of different things that go on from, you know, a physiological standpoint as well. So, um, if you had a gun in my head and I had to say one thing, I'd probably say sleep, but obviously like too much sleep and you're, you know, I guess you're kind of in a coma um, and then like too little sleep. And you know, that's an issue too. So it's like finding the right amount of sleep for your body type, uh, I think is super, super important for both men and women. Uh, and sometimes gets overlooked for people who are, they, they, uh, especially kind of the high achiever, you know, maximizer personality where it's like, push it with the training, push it at work, um, push it with the nutrition and they think they've got, you know, all their ducks in a row. And sometimes we overlook something as simple as like actually going to bed. So I'd say that would be my, my one. And then if I had to, if I was able to give a longer list, I would do those five um, that I mentioned. 100% agree. And especially with coaching clients, I always find that people, that it's always the simplest stuff that uh, clients like to overlook. Like something as simple as just getting in bed a little bit earlier, paying attention to the hygiene of your sleep and how much, more important that is than um, obviously your diet matters or your, your nutrition matters, but just simply working on getting much uh, more sleep and how much of an impact that can make on your life and how you feel every day is so huge. So I 100% agree there. So I'm mostly, I'm mostly in the CrossFit space or functional fitness space, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm interested on your take, especially we've talked a lot about like how that's, how important like managing stress is within everything you do essentially crossfit is a very stressful thing that people do with their bodies um i run a crossfit gym so i'm curious how would you approach 
uh, a client that comes to you and, and, and is a CrossFit athlete, and we won't even get into the competitive sphere, but just general CrossFit athlete, what are some things that that type of person can do uh, in their nutrition to, to make sure they're being set up for success? So I think it starts with like asking the right questions in terms of setting up people up for success, but um, that's going to be different for, for each person, right? So like right. based on our psychology, based on our mindset, based on our previous exercise history, there's not always like a one size fits all um, steps for success for everyone, right? We all have our strengths and weaknesses. So I guess, you know, as a coach, be, be mindful, be kind of an avid like learner, uh, continue to educate and, try to package the right bits of education for the right clients at the right times and set them up for success with areas that they need help managing and kind of serve as that support system. So, you know, for someone with, whether it's a hormone issue or whether they're only there for functional fitness and just there to have a good time. Um, you know, that's, that's what's interesting about being a coach at times is you sort of have to, uh, handle situations a bit like a chameleon and, and be very adaptive. So, I, uh, I, I think I appreciate that challenge and, and what it requires as far as being a problem solver. But I think the best thing you can do is just set yourself up with, um, based on your past client experiences, just thinking about like the most common things that come up and, and how could you ask those questions at the beginning of a journey to really help you. It's like, they're really to help you help them. So like to help you help those people and then kind of go from there. Yeah, I always find that just simply communicating always helps direct somebody in the right direction as far as um, like ways that I can help them better. And then knowing that um, sometimes I'm not going to have that one size fits all answer for them and then embracing that and knowing that, again, that that chameleon reference is uh, super important to grasp because things are going to be so individual. But uh, yeah, so I love that, man. Now, you're in the hormone world, obviously. That's something that you love and you're super passionate about. I actually had a conversation with a client recently and the first thing that she jumped to was like, maybe I've got something going on with my hormones and this, that, and the other. How, how likely is it? Like a client comes to you, they start saying they have hormone issues. So you start asking questions like, is, is that a super common thing? Like, do you run into, I, I'm sure you probably run into uh, more people with hormone issues than most because they come to you for that. But uh, prior to getting into it, how is it really super common for people to have uh, hormone issues or is it typically just other things? Um, it depends. I think as I've, as I've progressed uh, in down this route, I'd say um, it's more common that, that people do have some sort of hormonal questions or, or journey that they're on. Mm -hmm. But uh, initially I think it was, I was learning about hormones through helping you know, your average lifestyle client competitors, I just got a very wide array of experiences. And that would be my advice for anyone, whether you want to be across the CrossFit guy, the nutrition guy, the hormone, like a hormone guy, neurotransmitters, brain health, like executive coaching, regardless of what you want to do, I think just get like a smattering of experiences and uh, compile like your notes and what you've learned and, and kind of go from there in terms of being able to help others. So I'd, uh, I'd say right now it's a greater percentage. I probably couldn't put an exact number on it, but, um, I do have a mix of, of men and women who, who are doing that. Uh, my primary focus now is I do, uh, mentor a lot of uh, coaches. So that, that's probably 
a greater percentage of my client base. And then I do keep anywhere from, you know, a few dozen, a dozen to a few dozen like nutrition clients that truly need help with more advanced issues, or they're just really looking to kind of optimize everything and understand some more advanced science in their journey. Um, but you know, my, I guess my coaching practice looks a little different than, than it once did. But at that time, I mean, I've always had a mix of men and women, always some people had some type of, of hormone thing. And then some people were just regular lifestyle, weight loss, muscle gain clients for sure. Awesome, man. Uh, Sam, I appreciate your time today. There was a lot of information that you laid out. Um, I should have had my notepad. Luckily for me, I can go back and listen to this whenever I want to. I may have to, uh, this was a special, a special podcast. So for those of you who actually made it all the way through, I feel like not only were, were the questions really good, I got a little bit of my story out, but uh, I think the, the deep dives that we did on, on Hashimoto's um, as well as PCOS are, are super powerful for those listening. So I may have to actually bug you for this audio file and add it to uh, a couple of my, uh, my posts as well in terms of you know, the interview and, and, and showcase some of that. But um, I hope that, that everyone kind of benefited from it. And I'm always, you know, as you know this, Cody, but always happy to answer, you know, further questions. And this is something that I'm kind of in the trenches on every day um, that I'm working. So uh, hopefully it was helpful and educational and informative. Yeah, I, I appreciate the information. I actually don't find that a lot of people, other than Jason, until I uh, ran into to you and had the privilege of, of coming and listening to you speak, I don't find too many people, maybe I'm not looking in the right places, but I don't find too many people that go into these subjects. And then um, <laughs> typically if they do, you don't understand what they're talking about anyways. And I feel like you do a good job at making people, you take a, a complex topic and you uh, break it down so that the, um, the average person can understand it, which is always interesting. It's always interesting to find a person that can do that because <laughs> usually sometimes people are so smart it hurts, you know, and they can't get this stuff out the right way. But uh, so I appreciate your ability to do that. Now, in parting, I don't have any cool questions about like sitting at a table or, or, you know, who would you bring back from the dead to ask a lifelong question to. I keep it very simple. Uh, I'm an avid reader. That's something I probably get asked more than anything is what books I recommend to people. So if, if you had to narrow it down to three books that you think every person should read or that you would recommend that they would read, what are they? Wow. Uh, good one, man. So three books. Well, so currently I, I, I do read the daily stoic every morning. I've been enjoying that. I got into that after reading. I really enjoyed the obstacle is the way, uh, by Ryan holiday. And that kind of led to just getting a little bit of daily tidbits and stuff. Um, uh, shameless plug. Uh, my ebook would be a great book to read. Uh, no, I, I, so for three, I, I really enjoyed, I got a lot out of, uh, I like hearing different perspectives and different interviews. So, uh, tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss was cool. I kind of liked that more than tribe of mentors. If I had to pick from those two. Um, I, uh, I definitely enjoy the, the daily stoic that I, I read kind of on a regular basis. Um, I think for anyone really interested in, um, productivity and, and stuff like that, um, the book deep work by Cal Newport is pretty interesting in terms of like how we function in terms of, uh, producing as a society. But, um, I'm also going to, I'll list one more just cause I feel like the daily stoic and that Tim Ferriss book, because they're kind of a hodgepodge of 
quotes and in, in interviews, it's kind of weird. So I'd probably say, you know, obstacles the way, um, I definitely think deep work is super interesting book. And, uh, trying to think of, I guess I, I recently, I can think of something I recently read. I, I read the, uh, Oh, third circle theory by, uh, I, I can't remember his name. He's got a very interesting first and last name, but <laughs> third circle theory is super interesting. Um, kind of, uh, looking at how we move through different phases of life and, and, uh, things like that. So I would, I would definitely, I found that book to be super interesting, especially if you're into, uh, kind of thinking outside the box about things with your own personal development and stuff like that. I always love asking that question. It's always so hard for a coach or any, any of the people that I interview to narrow it down to three. And I had Luca on uh, a few weeks back and he, he gave me like 10 books. He was like, I was like, hey, Luca, what are three books you recommend? He's like, I'll give you five. And then he went into like 10. So it's always interesting because uh, leaders or mentors or coaches are always such avid readers. So I love asking that question and listening to people. Speak. Yeah, if I'm, if I'm totally transparent, man, and writing my own book and stuff, like my reading has slacked a ton. One of the reasons oh, yeah. I Daily Stoic is it's one page. I mean, <laughs> even you mentioned Jason a couple times in this podcast. I He does not read. I think there are oh, plenty wow. of successful people who don't don't read, but... I think the key is, is like learning from others, whether that's in a podcast, uh, you know, like you have a podcast forum right here for everyone to mm -hmm. listen to, uh, really could be, you know, there are a lot of, uh, different ways we can, uh, grow and, and learn and reading is one of those. So, um, but you know, I'm not going to lie to the audience. It's something that I think last probably 2017, I had a huge reading year, 2018, I still did a fair amount of reading. And then that, towards the end of 2018, early 2019 has just been pretty crazy with, some new projects. So it's something I got to uh, dive back into here, but been steady on like podcast, audiobook kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, my, my last question, and you kind of dabbled in that a little bit is um, I, I'm always interested in how people learn. Like I'm a, I'm a read, read it guy and then do it guy. Let's that's just how I retain information. Um, what is your, your, your favorite method of retaining content? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, my favorite method for retaining content is probably having to explain it to other people because it forces me to break it down. Um, and that's something that I've become really interested in and excited about doing. And it's something that, as you mentioned, not a lot of people are able to do. So I find that if I have to prepare a way to teach something as if I'm teaching other coaches or a seminar, I instantly retain the information better. If I'm getting interviewed on a podcast, I retain the info better. And, and that could come from things I've read. It could come from audio podcasts I've listened to, experiences, meeting people, going to seminars. I personally, I'd say I learn from all three of those areas, but what cements that the most is by teaching others. Awesome. Sam, thank you so much for, for coming on today, man. Uh, people are going to get tons of value from it. And uh, man, I wish you the best. Thanks, Cody. I appreciate it, man. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show today. I hope you got some value and some tools to take away to create yourself and create a life and engineer it to what you can be proud of. Now, do me a favor. Podcasts live, breathe, and die off of ratings and reviews on iTunes. So do me a favor before you go. Head on over to iTunes. Give me a five-star rating and review. Tell us something that you love about the podcast. Talk about guests that you want to have on. In general, we just want to get some feedback and know how this podcast is going and if it's helping people. Now, thank you, and we look forward to talking to you next time.
This is the Create Yourself Podcast.